Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast, although we should probably rename it Atlantic and Coastal, which is what Andy Bitter called his podcast uh, for The Athletic. We had talked about doing this, Andy, uh, at before the season got started, having sort of a weekly conversation on the ACC. I think we delayed it a few weeks because we wanted to actually see some action, see what these teams were made of. Um, you just finished watching uh, North Carolina take it to Virginia Tech, 41 to 10. Uh, I just watched uh, Wake Forest put an end to FSU's uh, 4-0 start, drove up to Tallahassee to watch that game. And the week before that, I mean, Miami was just a mess against Middle Tennessee State. Meanwhile, Clemson's, you know, cleaning the clock of NC State and Wake Forest. They've kind of established themselves again as the number one team. So we got a lot to talk about. Got some mailbag questions uh, that we get every single week at the uh, at the uh, Athletic the, that we can dive into. We have our power rankings we put together. So I want to sort of just lay the table of all the topics we're going to cover here. But first of all, how are you doing after uh, – five weeks of this season. I'm doing fine. The Hokies aren't doing so well, but I, I'm trudging along, uh, trying to figure out ways to write interesting stuff about a team that might be staring at a two and six record here coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the next couple games here. They play Pitt, NC state uh, or in between their Miami as well. Uh, two and six is a very real possibility and not a record you see in Blacksburg a lot of the time. So uh, it's interesting time because uh, the fans here are like still supporting Brent Pry, new coach. They're still support the team and very exciting. But at the same time, like, what's going on here? This is this is not what we signed up for. We're probably hoping to see a little bit more progress than what they've had. Yeah, I think it's been the same story at Miami, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, they get off to that 2-0 start. Then they uh, go to Texas A&M, lose a game that I think most people thought they would lose right at the start of the season. But we're in it in the fourth quarter, just couldn't punch it in the red zone. And they come home and they lay an absolute egg against Middle Tennessee State and just give a big play after big play. Tyler Van Dyke gets benched, uh, you know, and, and Miami, basically Miami's, right? This is what they've been known for now uh, since joining the ACC. You're never, you've never been a Miami believer and you've been right all along. <laughs> well, it's somewhat telling that we got the game time for Virginia Tech Miami next week, and it's twelve thirty on regional <laughs> sports networks. It's like this <laughs> is why the ACC. This. this is why the ACC can't have nice things. It's because these two programs are supposed to be sort of these staples of the league, and that were brought in to, to enhance the football product. And yeah, I mean, you know, Virginia Tech had its run for a while. Miami hasn't been you know this bad the entire time, but both these programs are in rough spots. And you go, why can't the ACC get more respect nationally? It's like, well, because your brand programs are just not there. And, you know, Florida State turning a little bit of a corner maybe this year. But Virginia Tech and and Miami have sort of been in the wilderness here 
lately. And you know, this league needs those programs to be a lot better than they have been. So I thought it was funny when I saw that game time and everybody's like, man, they should, I think one, one person tweeted at me, they should actually broadcast that on the history channel because it's been a while <laughs> since those programs uh, have been that good. I, I forget who tweeted that. I'm sorry to not give you credit on that, but I thought that was a funny line. Yeah. Um, Mario Cristobal, huge week for him and this program because Tyler Van Dyke was what everybody was banking on going into this year. And Miami fans know that uh, it's been a struggle for him. He's not looked like the same quarterback uh, over the last six games. Uh, people pointing the finger at Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, saying he's not tailoring the offense to TVD. Uh, some people have jumped off the TVD bandwagon altogether. They're saying, let's see more of Jake Garcia. So, um, and North Carolina is good, man. They've got, you know, one of the best offenses in the country. And, and this Drake May kid has come out just, I mean, 19 touchdowns, one interception. I know their defense hasn't been great until they played Virginia Tech last week. But, uh, you know, it, to me, they right now, you'd have to say they've, they have to be the favorite, right, to win the division at this point. I'm not sure if there's a favorite. I think everybody is equally an unfavorite in the league. Let, let's start with the defense there with UNC. Don't go writing that they've turned a corner on defense based on playing Virginia Tech because West Virginia did the same thing to them the previous week. And ODU kind of did the same thing to them in the opener. And they didn't look that great against Wofford and Boston College. So I, I think it's just a bad offense that the Hokies have. So I'm, I'm not going to go, oh, Gene Chizik has, has turned a corner when they're giving up, you know, 500 yards to everybody else in a load of points. Uh, I will say Drake May is fantastic. Uh, you know, we do that little Heisman uh, thing each week here where mm -hmm. we, we turn in a ballot to Matt Fortuna. I, I voted him number one on my ballot. And, I, you know, it's early in the year and things are going to change. But I just saw him up close in person. You know, he counted for 400 some yards, five touchdowns, three of them passing, two of them rushing. I mean, he looks like the total package on that team. And again, you know, Virginia Tech didn't play good defense on that. So they certainly contributed to it. But I watched that offense. I go, man, that's a that's a tough group to stop. And Drake May is a big reason for that. So, uh, you know, I saw Sam Howell play a couple years against Virginia Tech and maybe just didn't have uh, strong showings all the time against the Hokies. I thought May was more effective uh, in that game than what I saw Howell a couple times. You know, the, the 2020 game, Howell was amazing because everybody was amazing in that, that COVID year against the defense the Hokies trotted out in that game. But uh, I was just very impressed by him. Uh, and I'd like to see him against some other teams and some other games where, uh, you know, the opposing offense is going to be able to put up some points and match them a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I like what UNC has on the offensive side of the ball. And if you're that good on one side of the ball, that might be enough in the coastal this year, because, you know, I, I thought the coastal chaos was going to die a slow death here. And it's it'd go out with a, a whimper. Then all of a sudden Georgia tech beats Pitt. And you go, what? Anybody can win this division at this point. Like, I, I wouldn't expect Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech or honestly Virginia to be up there just based on the, the roster. But I wouldn't rule out Duke. You know, Pitt obviously is, is still in the mix. I wouldn't rule out Miami, North Carolina, maybe the favorite. I, I don't know. It, it's a really bad division. Uh, but, I, you know, to get back to the original point, I do like Drake May quite a bit. I think, I think he's an incredible player. Yeah, and and I would venture to say, I mean, uh, this week Kevin Steele actually compared him to Bills quarterback Josh Allen because you mentioned the two rushing touchdowns, and yes, he's not going to run for a hundred yards and and be Lamar Jackson, but his running game is just as effective uh, in terms of being able to move the chains and hurt defenses. And so, for Miami, this is a uh, a huge week 
can they rebound from that loss? Can they maintain themselves? And or, or are we going to have you know two and three versus two and four in Blacksburg twelve thirty a week from now? That would not surprise me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think both programs are sort of in that situation where everybody got all excited uh, in the off season where it's new coach. All right, clean slate, everything starts over. In Miami, a little bit higher expectations just based on the talent level. I think they had there and. Uh, you know, I don't think Manny Diaz was an abject failure there. I think, you know, Justin went after six years, it was trending in the direction of, of not great with how things were going. I think they pulled the plug on Manny pretty early in his run there. So I, I don't want to judge him too unfairly in that whole thing, but you know, it, it's Miami. So they always have a talented roster. Virginia tech didn't really have that. People, people were very excited about the change that they had there, but I think you get to the reality of the season and the reality of uh, just the transition that you have on those staffs. And it's tough. It's tough to bring in a new coach and just automatically be that much better. Maybe it's not that tough. Mike Elko seems to be doing a good job of turning things around at Duke, but you know, it's not just a, you know, press a button and all of a sudden these teams are great typically. So uh, I, I think you always get through the off season. It's a time of optimism. And then you get to the season, you lose a game or two and you go, Oh man, there's some issues here that we overlooked in our excitement in the off season. Those are popping up for both those programs right now. All right. I want to dive into our power rankings. I put my list together. I know you still haven't, and, and we do this usually on Thursday anyway. So I'm, I'm getting ahead of us, uh, our usual pace, but uh, this is what I came up with. This is my one through 14 and, and you stop me whenever you want to stop me and, and give me your thoughts. Uh, Clemson, obviously the clear number one. Stop. Um, <laughs> I know. Okay. I agree with you. Clemson. Yes. Clear it away. Number one. Uh, I put Wake Forest number two. And, I agree. I and agree here, with that. Here's why. I'll give a quick, quick take. I watched them against Florida State in Tallahassee, 28 to 7 in the third quarter. Um, I didn't really appreciate the slow mesh for what it is. Um, I thought, well, it's a little gimmicky. It's unbelievable how good Sam Hartman is at running that thing and how just how tough it is to defend. And Florida State, look, they've they're in Mike Norvell's third season. They got off to a good start. They beat LSU. I get it. Um, but I mean, they just looked overmatched trying to stop this offense. And it was that way a year ago as well. And so, um, you know, he's had Norvell's had a few cracks at stopping and hasn't had any success, really. And, and I think uh, to me, the fact they played Clemson double overtime, uh, went on the road and won a tough game at Florida State, uh, that makes them number two. Greer disagree. Yeah, I agree with that. I was kind of waiting for Wake Forest to, to win a game that was mm-hmm. notable. You know, they played pretty three pretty easy games to start almost almost blew it against liberty and you go okay this team has a one point win against liberty whatever the the margin was but then they played clemson toe-to-toe all the way at that probably kicking themselves for not winning that game and then to win at florida state like you know florida state has been pretty good this year then to go on the road to win that still uh i like that that's a, a better resume i think than a lot of teams in the acc have all right i put nc state at number three i know they just lost to Clemson. I know Syracuse is still undefeated, but I think NC State, considering the fact that they weren't completely embarrassed by Clemson, I know they were on their home field, but it was relatively a close game right up until what? The third quarter when Clemson started to pull away a little bit from them. It wasn't until a fourth quarter touchdown, I think, made it more than a two-score game. Um, to me, the Wolfpack right now, I'd still consider them a top three team in the ACC. I might have Syracuse ahead of them just in power rankings right now, just as a nod to an an undefeated team right now. And I know the orange have been playing with fire lately. Uh, That Purdue game 
very fortunate to win that one. Purdue kind of melted down at the end there. Then UVA, you know, they were crushing them at halftime and just sort of took their foot off the gas. Uh, UVA gets back into it. Syracuse almost loses that one at the end, but they pulled both those out. They're still five and oh, uh, you know, I think I would give the nod to the undefeated team over an NC State team that hasn't looked great all season. I mean, Texas Tech was probably the best win uh, just off the top of my head in terms of the schedule and probably fortunate to get out of East Carolina with a win in that game and then uh, a 10-point loss to, to Clemson like that. So, you know, it's a toss-up between those two. I think right now with the limited sample size that we'd have, I'd give, I'd give the edge to the undefeated team here. All right. Well, uh, Syracuse fans are going to be mad at me, but what else is new? I have them fifth behind Florida State, uh, who oh I st- wow, who I still oh, think, wow. who I still Slap think, ha- face. <laughs> I still think they have a more impressive win, beating a four and one LSU team in Louisiana. I also think, you know, for the most part, I mean, they they handled Boston College easily at home. Yes, they lost to Wake Forest, but I, that's how much respect I have for Wake Forest. I think none of Syracuse's wins match up to Florida State's best win. Virginia Tech handled Boston College handily at home. That kind of tells you where Boston <laughs> College, and by extension, where Louisville is in this whole right. process. So, I, I, you know, I, you know, coming off the loss last week, I'd maybe drop Florida State a little bit, but I agree with you that their overall resume is still pretty good. And amazing, we haven't hit a Coastal Division team yet. We're four or five teams in, and we're still in the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, I, our readers were, weren't too happy with that, especially the Pitt readers up until they lost to Georgia Tech this week. They were saying they got no respect, and now I sort of feel vindicated a little bit, like, hey, guess what? This is why we had five uh, Atlantic Division teams ranked ahead of you. Yeah, I don't hear so much from the Pitt fans this week. And I, I you know, I, I wrote the little blurb last week and I'm like, I think we might be underrating Pitt here. This seems like the coastal favorite. And what do they do? They pull the ultimate Pitt. They go and lose to a team that just fired its coach. Uh, you know, sort of the consensus last place team uh, picked team in the, in the coastal. Now that Duke has been a little bit better than expected. Uh yeah, I, first of all, I think Pitt will get right this week with Virginia Tech going up there because the Hokies never play well in you know, whatever they're calling Heinz Field these days. But uh, that's just been a house of horrors for them. But but man, that was sort of uh, poetic justice for the many Pitt, Pitt fans in our in our comments section that were complaining about how we're overlooking Pitt and this is the best team in the ACC. It's like, well, maybe not. Maybe put them a little bit lower. <laughs> Well, the, the highest ranked team for me uh, out of the coastal is North Carolina. Um, I think, you know, 31 points over Virginia Tech um, to me. Yes, I know they lost at home to Notre Dame and they gave up a bo- uh, they've given up a bunch load of uh, points and yards and yada, yada, yada. It's the best offense, I could say, in, in my opinion, in the conference. And, and that's even with Clemson. I think they're more powerful, more explosive than Clemson's offenses. Um, so I, I, I give North Carolina the nod at six. I put Duke seventh. Pitt eight, Miami ninth, and then Georgia Tech. Would you change that six through 10 order in any way, shape, or form? You know, I don't think I would. I, I like that order. I agree with you on North Carolina, just because I think they have the one side of the ball that's better than anybody else's on uh, you know particular unit in the Coastal Division, offense or defense. Uh, I like what Duke keeps doing. I mean, they, they whooped up on Virginia, and that historically has been a game that Virginia has handled Duke pretty easily mm-hmm. over the years. So perhaps that's a, a bit turning to the tide. I, I still don't think they've played a, a schedule yet where they've truly been challenged in some of the stuff, but you know, a nod to the fact that they're four and one. I mean, Duke was awful last year. That defense was a sieve, and it's not like that this year. That's a truly a credit to, to what Elko's doing in that first year. Uh, then you went Miami and then Georgia Tech. 
I went Pitt, Miami, Georgia Tech. And I know that's okay. almost sinful considering Georgia Tech just won on the road at Pitt. But Pitt's three and two. I still think if they were to play Georgia Tech 10 times, they'd probably win eight out of 10. Um, I think Georgia Tech's offense is still having some serious issues. And somehow, some way, I put Miami in the middle there. Maybe it's just foolish on my part. <laughs> Maybe they get embarrassed this week and fall much deeper in the polls. But I'm giving Miami the benefit of the doubt that, they'll, that they're better than Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Louisville, and Virginia. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. And that's always, you get into a tough thing. It's like, well, this team just beat this team. How could you rank them lower? It's like, well, they played other games. And Georgia Tech just got embarrassed by Ole Miss. Was it like 45 to nothing mm-hmm. or something like that? Clemson beat them pretty handily. Uh, lose at UCF. Uh, I don't think that game was really close, even though the score was maybe closer than what people thought it would be. So I'd agree with those. those. I wouldn't have any uh, big uh, qualms with them. All right, the bottom four, and this is my order. I'm sure you might disagree. Um, I've got Virginia Tech, Boston College, Louisville, and Virginia in that order. That is a tough quartet to rank there. Virginia (laughs) Tech has beaten Boston College, but man, that feels like it was a long time ago, even though it was just a couple weeks. Boston College just beat Louisville, so you have to put them ahead of Louisville. Correct. Correct. I mean, Virginia and Louisville play this week, so maybe we'll have some clarity between those two. Maybe I would put Virginia Tech just looks awful to me right now. And like they have that Boston College win, but I mean, the last two games, they've just been blown out. I mean, they've scored 10 points in both those. Haven't scored 10 points in back-to-back games. 10 points or less in back-to-back games since 1989. Wow. So we're going back a ways. This is not a, a program that has this... <laughs> you know, storied offense that like, oh, of course it's been that long. It's like, there've been some pretty lean years offensively and they haven't done that before. So yeah, maybe I would go, you know, Virginia showed some fight in that Syracuse game. I'll go Virginia, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Louisville. Okay. And that way I preserve some head to heads, but I think Louisville could very easily beat Virginia this week. And I think Virginia Tech could very easily be the worst of those teams. But at the same time, Boston College is pretty bad, too. I mean, it's it's a mess at the bottom. I think when your coach is so severely on the hot seat like Louisville is right now with Scott Satterfield, I think you have to put him last. And until they can win and get it off of that, you know, Georgia Tech, congratulations. You, you fired a coach. They were way down there. I didn't have them completely last last week. I had Boston College behind them which probably kind of tells you where the Eagles were, but now the Eagles get a win. Georgia tech. gets a big win to get out of the basement. You know, we'll reward merit here on our, our uh, very unofficial power rankings that we do. So <laughs> I'll put Louisville last, uh, but prove me wrong. Cardinals may beat UVA this week and you can get out of the cellar. All right. We'll, uh, we'll do the math between your rankings and my rankings and come up with a final list like we do every single week. Uh, the weeks, the week six action, we've talked about some of these games already, but just to quickly recap, Louisville at Virginia, Virginia Tech at Pitt, Duke at Georgia Tech, North Carolina at Miami, Clemson at BC, Army at Wake Forest, and then Florida State at NC State. We have mailbag questions. Um, you know, we obviously I want to make sure our, our, our listeners remember that, uh, we do an ACC mailbag every single week now at the athletic. I, uh, I've enjoyed doing them. I've enjoyed the power rankings, Andy. I think it's helped our coverage out a little bit, makes everybody uh, feel like uh, there's an ACC community, right? Uh, where you can go on there and demand Pittsburgh be ranked higher than sixth in the power rankings. 
an ACC community where we can still exclude Wake Forest and Pitt because that's what we try to do. That seems to be the accusations on every single one. We never get any respect. You never answer any questions. Uh, keep asking them. We will, we will answer questions. We'll try to hit all the teams uh, over time here. Maybe not every week. Right. And, you know, I do a Virginia Tech mailbag every other week. So maybe a little bit lighter on Hokies questions and lighter on Miami since you do so much coverage on them. But, but, you know, send us questions about everybody. We'll try to hit everybody in the league. Absolutely. And it's still pretty cheap to sign up for the athletic. And even if you don't want to read about Miami and Virginia Tech, there's a, a ton of good coverage. Uh, and features and all kinds of stuff from our uh, national writers and Grace Rayner, who, who did a phenomenal job covering Clemson. I love her recruiting stuff. If you, if you want to keep up with the high school quarterbacks, the best high school quarterbacks in the country and how they're doing, Grace does a great column every single week featuring them. So a lot to read at The Athletic. Anyway, enough selling our product. Uh, mailbag questions. I got about seven here and we'll run through them as fast as we can. Cause I know we both got things to do. Um, this is an interesting one. You're Jim Phillips. You got half the eighties urging you Monday morning to do what's right for the conference and get rid of divisions for the ACC championship game this year. What do you do? This is from Jonathan a, I mean, I've been the, the champion of getting rid of the div- divisions for a decade. Uh, yeah, I would <laughs> drop them tomorrow. I think that's probably not something you can do, you know, mid-race <laughs> you know, it's not right. like you can just change up the rules halfway through and do that but uh i'd say relax let coastal chaos play out as only coastal chaos can for one last time and next year you'll have your your uh you know single division uh top two teams play in the championship game and you know maybe that means a top five clemson against a top 15 somebody else it's we're probably not getting two top five teams in this whole thing so let the let the coastal chaos play out you know let duke win the division or whatever it is this year surprise everybody go to the the acc title game it's just like one sort of you know, fitting finale to this ridiculous division that they've had for such a long time that everybody seems to win every now and then, and then they fall off the face of the earth and somebody else rises up to take it. I haven't looked at the the standings necessarily to see like what we need to get everybody at four and four, but, you know, Georgia Tech just beat Pitt. So it feels like anything's possible with this thing. Just sit back and enjoy the coastal ride. Yeah, the nostalgia in me wants to see the coastal, you know, division just go at it one last time. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily go beating down the door. But I will say the bigger issue here is could this potentially cost the ACC a playoff spot? Right. I think if Clemson goes undefeated, runs the table, which they very much could do because DJ Ongalale is playing phenomenally now. The offense is starting to hum. Um, I, I think if, if, if they run the table, they'll get in. They'll be one of the top four teams winning the ACC title uh, and being an undefeated team. But a one-loss Clemson team or a one-loss Wake Forest team, let's say somehow Wake Forest ends up running the table, right? Um, and they've got to go and beat an 8-4 and four North Carolina or a 8-4 and four Duke or 7-5, and five, my, whatever way this thing shakes out. Um I, I don't think they're getting the college football playoff with a loss, right? I mean, I think that's really the thing here. Whereas if this were to happen next year, when you go divisionless, Clemson goes 11 and one and they play 11 and one Wake Forest, beat them head to head. I'm guessing in that scenario, the ACC still could have a team get into the playoff, correct or incorrect? Well, possibly. I, I think it's, it depends on who you're comparing them against mm-hmm. and how the other, divi- how the other leagues play out. It's like, yeah, if you're going to one loss Clemson against a one loss, SEC team that didn't win its championship down there. Yeah, I don't like 
the Tigers' chances. But, you know, we're, what, seven, eight years into the playoff, and they still haven't had the two-loss team right. at this point. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I remember so off the top of much, my head. Yeah. I, I think that's true. It, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like as much as they want to talk about quality of schedule and quality of wins and uh, emphasizing win in your league, they still kind of go by who hasn't lost the most. Right. And if you only have one loss, that puts you in pretty elite company, especially if you, you know, is anybody getting through the big 12 with less than two losses? Uh, is anybody from the pac 12? I know USC is sort of a, a re, reborn team there, but are they going to get through with less than two losses? Right. Uh, Oregon's already, or Oregon's already lost big time to, to Georgia. Uh, you know, big 10 might beat up on each other a little bit, a bit along the way. I, I think it's certainly possible, especially if, with Notre Dame, not in the mix. I and mean, that's, that's an independent that is typically discussed up there. I, I think Clemson could do it with one loss. All right. Maybe, maybe uh, this year they could, I don't know. Um, I just think obviously the whole point of getting rid of the, the ACC divisions and, and making it the two best teams was to sort of avoid those scenarios, I think in the long run. And I think this year, unfortunately, because the way it looks like the coastal shaping up, uh, it's not going to be a great matchup for whoever Coastal, uh, whoever uh, Clemson probably ends up getting in, in the championship game. But we'll see. Uh, maybe North Carolina surprises us and, and and runs the table themselves the rest of the way here and, and, and kind of cruises to the Coastal Division title. All right. This is another question from Michael F. Michael F. Given that Georgia Tech is ranked 30th in total talent composite, is it possible they are potentially much better than their 107th ranking and we're really coached down by Jeff Collins. The change in their play and demeanor against Pitt was startling. Yeah, that's the the ultimate question whenever you fire a coach and the team comes out and plays really well. I was like, this is this actually something or is this the a dead cat bounce that you get <laughs> after you remove somebody? I mean I think Collins was a terrible coach. Like mm-hmm. in game coaching, on the field coaching. It's like his whole thing was just like, I'm creating a brand and we're going to recruit better here. It's like, okay, well, what are you actually going to do with the football? Like they're lifting weights on the sideline and all, doing all this ridiculous stuff. It's like, okay, but what are you doing schematically and how are you making these guys better? That never seemed to be uh, a strength for him or his staff. Uh, so I wonder if, uh, you know, that this first game after that is just so much emotion from these guys and Brent key, you know, uh, an alum who played there and has coached there forever. And, uh, you know, you see that him speaking in the post game. So emotionally, uh, you know, I think the players really wanted to play for him and do well for him. I do wonder how long that lasts though, if that could carry out for, for multiple weeks, or if that's just sort of a, a, a short-term thing and then they return back to what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that game and I, I don't think, you know, the, the sort of, uh, underlying statistics in that one. And I don't think Georgia tech wins that game a whole lot based on how that played out. They happen mm-hmm. to win this one and held on to, to win it. So good for them. Uh, I do have questions about whether it's going to continue further along the line. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Dan Shirley, who works with us, is one of our editors and, and always chimes in on our mailbag whenever we've got Georgia Tech questions, was saying even before the upset win at Pitt that he thinks Brent Key would be a great choice to be the head coach at Georgia Tech and, and replace Jeff Collins. I don't know where why he feels that way. I just 
He does. He thinks that Brent Key could be the guy. Um, I don't know what Georgia Tech's going to do in the long run. I don't necessarily see Deion Sanders ending, ending up back there, uh, especially the way they, they you know, sort of uh, academics play such an important role in getting players, you know, to Georgia Tech, the, the, the high standards, et cetera, be a challenge to just all of a sudden, um, you know, kind of recruit wildly, right? Just bring anybody into the school and, and put football above academics at Georgia Tech. They've never really done that there. Um, so I don't know that that's going to happen, but maybe Brent Key's the right fit for them in the long run. Um, I'll say this, having co- having watched Miami go through a coaching change with Manny Diaz, I mean, they played hard for him over those last six games when they went five and one. And I do think that there is something to players wanting to play for a coach, right? Like how inspired are they by that coach? How much are they willing to sacrifice and, and kind of go all out for him? Um, as you said, maybe it was a one week deal. Um, but I think in Miami's case last year, um, you know, they did believe in Manny Diaz. They did like playing for him. I think it's interesting to see how much it's changed under Mario, where he's more of an old school, uh, you know, traditional guy, maybe not running the offense the players want to play in. Uh, I guess my point is, I, I just feel like college football has changed a little bit in the last few years where the players really do have so much power over their, their performance, right? Like if they, if they don't like the coach, they will not show up and play for him. They will not give the kind of effort that they want. And the guy ends up getting fired and you see what happened uh, with Jeff Collins. I think there was no doubt that he had probably lost that locker room and uh, a change needed to be made. Well, I'll say this. I covered an interim coach last year for Virginia Tech too. And JC Price comes in right after uh, you know Fuente gets ousted there for the last two games of the regular season. They go down to Miami. Didn't play that great at Miami bad weather game, uh, not particularly close in that one, but then they beat UVA uh, and, you know, any interim coach that beats the rival, people are going to love that. They're going to go, oh right. man, maybe JC Price needs to get some consideration for this. And then everybody opted out and went pro for the bowl game. They lost by 40 <laughs> to Maryland. So, right. <laughs> uh, you know, those good vibes and good feelings only last uh, so long with some of these interim coaches. Now you say that, then you look at Dabo Sweeney was a interim coach who's turned into one of the best coaches in the country. So I'm not going to sit here and close the door on it. I'm just, I'm just cautioning people to, to not get too caught up in the interim coach, uh, you know, any kind of short burst that you get out of them. All right. This is from Chris V with a four and one record, several key winnable games remaining on the schedule. What will it take for Duke to crack the AP top 25? Well, man, it took Kansas a, a heavy lift to get there. And yeah. They beat Duke, and then they were they were four and zero, and had to get to five and zero with a win over Iowa State to actually get there. I, I think with these programs that have sort of been down for a long time, they have to overcome a lot to to you know win back some voters' trust. Like Texas or Miami wins one game at the beginning of the year, and everybody <laughs> is ready to just skyrocket Lord. them up the Reagans. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, you're top 10, you're top, you're top 12, something like that. But if you're not a historically great football program, you have to fight for that sort of recognition. And, you know, Duke's like that. Kansas is like that's It's taken Syracuse a while. Syracuse is ranked now, correct? Yeah, I think they're up to 22nd. They finally got up there. It, it took them to get 5-0 and to get to that point. And normally, if you're an undefeated, you know, Power 5 team, and even if you've played you know, a bunch of patsies in your non-conference schedule, people will reward you with that. So uh, it might be tough for Duke. I mean, they've got Georgia Tech this week. I don't think if they beat Georgia Tech that that's going to be impress voters enough uh, to do it. 
UNC Miami after that, maybe get some wins over those and th- then you could get in there. But I, I think for traditionally not great football schools like that, it, it's a tougher thing to do because, you know, voters love to say so-and-so is back. This team after a long hiatus is back. Nebraska, get a big win, put them up there. Uh, people would love to do that. And, and there are a few programs, you know, Texas, Miami specifically, you know, USC, I think people were ready to give them the benefit of the doubt, even though they were horrible last year. And of course, they've, they've been great this year. They've been winning these games and putting up huge numbers. So I don't want to detract from that, but it's a little bit easier of a path for them to get back up to the, the top 25 than somebody like Duke. I would say if, if Duke beats Georgia Tech and North Carolina, I think six and one with a win over high-scoring offense like North Carolina would would get them in the poll at that point. Yeah, I think so, too. Because you look at the other wins so far. Temple, bad team. Northwestern's been terrible since beating Nebraska. North Carolina A&T, FCS team. Lost to Kansas. Kansas is a good team, but uh, still lost there. Beat UVA, which might be a terrible team. And if you beat Georgia Tech, you're beating a team that two weeks ago fired its coach. I know we talked about everything that Georgia Tech did great a couple weeks ago, but still you'll look at the ledger and go, that's not a a team with a really good record. So yeah, I think it would take wins in the next two. If they beat UNC after this, after beating Georgia Tech this week, then yes, I I think uh, certainly would warrant consideration and and probably get in there. All right. ESPN's Reese Davis says Drake May is QB1 in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Do you agree? If not, who? Hartman, DJU, Slovis, Leary are probably out of the running at this point. This is John R. Who do you think is the best quarterback in the ACC? I mean, I'm somewhat biased because I just saw May play in person. And I think if you're going on totality of what they've done this season, I mean, Hartman missed uh, games at the start of the season. He's back now. I think he missed one game. Was it one, one game? One, yeah. Two game. One game. So, you know, one less game uh, to pile up stats there. I think May and Hartman are the top two. Yeah, I agree. And I say that and like, man, I don't know if I'm just like lingering, you know, residual stuff from last year with Uyunglele where I just don't quite trust it yet. I mean, he was exceptional in that Wake Forest game. And for some reason, I still can't get out of my mind just how bad he looked (laughs) last year. So perhaps I'm being unfair to him uh, in that regard. But I think it's May and Hartman 1 and 1A in some order. And, uh, you know, May's been spectacular, but Hartman has had a track record of doing it over a couple years, and I don't think quite gets the credit that he should for running that offense that the Deacons have. And, uh, you know, I, I put uh, DJ in the top three there, those those three in some order. But, you know, like I said before, I just saw May play. Uh, I thought he was exceptional. His stats are, you know, the best in the league right now. I'll give him the edge right now, but obviously that's a fluid situation. I, I agree with all that. The only other guy I'd throw in there and say he's he's gotten off to a great start is is Garrett Schrader, the quarterback for Syracuse, who, uh, you know, to me, obviously, without him playing that way, Syracuse isn't five and zero. I know they've they've obviously got one of the best running backs uh, in the country uh, in, in Tucker, but I, I just think he's really been the key. He and Robert and I, the the new offensive coordinator, the the magic that they've kind of done together throwing the ball to Rondé Gadsden. And it's not like they've got a boatload of great receivers there. I mean, they, they've, these are kind of just guys um, and they've got some offensive balance there. How about we start to give a little bit more credit to what Robert Anaya has done. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was at Virginia last year and Brennan Armstrong throws for 4,000 sub yards, whatever yeah. it was. Uh, he leaves and now Brennan Armstrong looks lost 
in that offense. He goes to Syracuse and Garrett Schrader's doing very well. I'd also give a, 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 t- a hat, uh, hat tip to Jordan Travis. I yeah. think he's been pretty good uh, at Florida State. Maybe not an exceptional game against Wake Forest, but uh, I think he's played pretty well this season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the quarterback conversation continues. This one's kind of an interesting one. Uh, DJ Uyunglele has a pretty successful year. Does he stay for his senior season? If so, where does that leave uh, Cade Klubnik in this age of transfer portal with instant eligibility? It's kind of difficult to see Klubnik sitting on the bench two full years. This is from CES on our mailbag. Oh, man. Talk about first world problems. <laughs> like, my right? goodness. Oh, are we going to keep this guy that's going to be a first-round draft pick, or do we turn to the guy that's going to be the next first-round draft pick? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if what Uyunglele has done this year is will translate to the NFL. It seems like a pretty you know uh, heavy year NFL-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud being eligible, I believe, uh, coming up this offseason. Those are some some heavy hitters that are going to go at the top of the draft. Maybe that comes into his uh, calculus for what he wants to do in the future. Uh, like I said, I think he looked, he's looked good in a couple games here. You probably are going to want to see a larger sample size than that, but that would be a predicament with a guy that, you know, how, how often do these top ready guys sit for two years? Right. It doesn't happen a whole lot. And maybe, you know, maybe Dabo the culture down there and saying, Hey, you're the guy next. And look at what these other guys have done once it's been their turn. Uh, Clemson, maybe that can override some of that and, and you know, maybe work him in a little bit in some games and prepare him for that role. But, and nobody wants to sit and nobody wants, you know, especially when there are opportunities out there to play and every school in the country would take you right away. You know, maybe you look at your options, you see what's out there. And if there's a situation that's better, you can do it. But, uh, you know, I, I want to say that's a tough situation for Clemson, but every school in the conference would be killing to be in that situation. I don't know that DJ's done enough yet. I mean, I know he's been great this year. I'm not going to knock anything he's done on the field this year, but you're right. I mean, you go back and look at last year and how just how bad he was. Do NFL teams feel the confidence, right, to say, yeah, you're definitely a guy that goes in the first two or three rounds, come out, right? I don't know that he's reached that that point yet. Maybe if he leads Clemson to the playoff and, and continues to play at the level that he has, they, they you know, it changes their mind. But I, I, I just think, you know, is there a chance? Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance Cade Klubnik gets in the transfer portal and leaves. If there's, um, you know, somebody else that really needs them, they can get them on the field right away. Most of those kids, uh, you know, like the Klubniks, who are the number one quarterback in their class, I think sitting out one year, they're willing to do, but sitting out two, I, I just, I don't know how often they're going to do that anymore. And I get it. It's Clemson. He could come in and easily take over uh, for DJ in year three and, and keep the program at a high level. Maybe that's a better deal than, than transferring somewhere else. But I just think a lot of these kids um, that, that are elite quarterbacks, they're, they're just not going to sit for two years. Um, so I think it's, there's definitely the possibility that that uh, Club Nick takes off if he's not on the field next year. So. Yeah, possibly. I would hope that some of these guys look at the bigger picture, though, and they go, man, this, t- this is a school that produced Deshaun Watson, right. Trevor Lawrence, and look at the – success they're having in the NFL. I know Watson has other issues that are not on the field type things, but you know, his play has, has been uh, pretty good from what he's done from a professional standpoint. So uh, if I see that and then I, I see, Oh, they're going to get Uyunglele to the league too, probably at some point. Uh, that's a pretty good legacy there of quarterbacks. And maybe I want to be part of that instead of going somewhere else where uh, it's less certain, or there's less of a track record of, of putting guys to the next level. 
All right. How many more wins does Mike Elko need to wrap up the coach of the year award? <laughs> Amazing turnaround. I had zero hope for this year. Coach Cut won four in his first year after the Ted Roof experience, but somehow last year seemed worse than 2007. This is from Colin P. Well, the coach of the year always goes to the coach who exceeds the media's expectations right. at the beginning of the year. We set expectations, and then if you exceed them by so much, then we go, what an impressive coaching job, even though we might have just been off with our preseason projections, which happens all the time. Uh, you know, Dabo's won it a couple of times, I believe, probably not as many times as he should have based on the success. So, I mean, even if if Clemson runs the table, I think there's sort of a, a Dabo fatigue in, in people voting for him. Uh, you know, I think right now I look at the league and I go, you got to consider Dino Babers too, mm-hmm. for a team that's five and oh, I mean, he was on, squarely on the hot seat. I think everybody expected him, him or Jeff Collins to be the first coach fired in the ACC. And, and all of a sudden he's five and oh, now they have a really tough stretch coming up. And I think Duke was coming from uh, a place further back in the standings last year. So if Elko gets that Duke team bowl eligible, or in, you know, stays in the mix here in the coastal division. Yeah. I think he's got to be a serious contender. I think right now it's him and Babers neck and neck for coach of the year in the ACC. I agree. I think it's probably going to take eight wins. I would say to get him over the top uh, and probably a Syracuse uh, loss, which will probably happen. And and maybe a Clemson loss uh, for him not to get the coach of the year in the ACC. Um, but he's I could a phenomenal. See seven. If he goes seven and five, I could definitely see that. You know, mm-hmm. that's a three-game improvement from before. And like I said, Duke was just so bad last year. It wasn't just like a, a winless ACC team. They were getting blown out by everybody. I mean, a, a Virginia Tech team that was getting ready to get rid of Justin Fuente went out there and beat him by 30 at home. And that was that was the swan song for Justin Fuente. Virginia Tech was, you know, beating down a Duke team that, that was just overmatched. So, yeah, I'm very impressed with the job they've done cuz it's not like you walk in and go, "Well, this is just such a talented roster that that was underachieving." This was a roster that was not that talented based on recruiting rankings and everything there. He's turned them into a, a very tough out this season. And we'll see if that continues as the schedule gets harder, but uh just an impressive job. All right. And I think this is the final one. Where does Louisville go from here? What do Satterfield's chances look like to finish the season? And is Jeff Brom available? This is from Brendan L. Louisville fans really have a, uh, a fascination <laughs> with Jeff Brom, don't they? I mean, they do. been okay. he's been okay at Purdue. And I realize he's a Louisville native and all that, and a legend that they want to bring back to the school but it's they're talking about him like he's nick saban or something like that it's like that's that's the only option out there is the guy that's had right. one nine win season to produce so far uh I, I can understand the allure of bringing somebody a homecoming type thing even though you look at scott frost in nebraska and you go man it is not a guarantee this guy comes home and is the savior that that elevates the program uh you know, if I'm Scott Satterfield, I certainly don't lose to UVA this week. That's for sure. If you're 0-3 in the conference and you lose to a UVA team that's looked terrible so far this season to drop to 0-4, and then you got Pitt, Wake Forest, Clemson, NC State left in the in the in the conference schedule. That is a tough road ahead. Uh so a win this week might just be delaying the inevitable uh for a team that you know had to make some progress and, and turn a corner this year. And I don't think it's gonna happen. But uh yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know the internal politics too well at Louisville. I know there's this fascination with Brown, but that is that's going to be a pricey uh, person to go after. I think he's paid pretty well 
at Purdue and Purdue has that big 10 money that can probably match anything or, or come close to what Louisville is going to offer. I think it comes down to what Brom wants. You know, does he want to go back home? And he didn't a couple of years ago. And I wonder if there's, you know, any resentment from Louisville fans or Louisville brass over the fact that he didn't want to do that a couple of years ago, but you know, it seems clear that stuff is just not working with Satterfield right now, which I'm surprised. I thought he was a really good coach. And I thought, you know, that first year he came in and they really exceeded expectations. But since then, he's just not been able to elevate the program at all. And, you know, he, he's, this will be year four, I think, with him. He's yep. had a little bit of time to, to try to get it done and it just hasn't happened. So if that's the case, maybe you do have to make a change. Yeah, I don't know that Brahm is necessarily the answer. I know, <clears throat> obviously, Louis fan, Louisville fans feel that he is. Um, you know, we just were just talking about a guy who I think has done a, a wonderful job now in two places, in, in Robert and I. I. I don't know if he's necessarily head coach material, but in today's game, right, where it's so hard to find the right kind of coach who can push the right buttons, et cetera, uh, you know, you have a talent like Malik Cunningham there who – uh, you know, he's trying to put up numbers. Uh, he's putting up numbers pretty consistently, both on the ground and through the air. But how much better would he be if an I was his quarterback's coach, right? And his offensive coordinator, where where might that Louisville offense be? And I know Satterfield's thing was 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 offense, right? I mean, it, it always feels like they go with the with the offensive minded uh, uh, coordinator, offensive minded coach when you can't get necessarily a proven head coach. I don't know that Brom is a proven head coach, right? I mean, he's proven he can, he does at Purdue, pretty much what you expect them to do at Purdue. So um, well, winning nine games at Purdue is an accomplishment. I mean, that's well, that's what you should probably win. do every five years. Right. At Purdue, like yeah, you get a, at least team, one side of my time. Right. Yeah. I, I just, and, and ultimately here, I think the bigger deal for Louisville is the fact that they are recruiting. Well, um, they've obviously spending some money on NIL to, to help facilitate that. Uh, how does that, how does changing the head coach affect that? Right. I mean, they've got some good players lined up to come in here. Will those guys all depart and all flee, uh, if, if Satterfield gets fired. So I think that's the, the bigger issue for them. Well, that depends. Are they, are they committed because they like Satterfield or are they committed because they like the money that might be coming their way? Or, if or Satterfield both. Leaves, if Satterfield <laughs> uh, is changed, they change the head coach, but the money stays there. Maybe they're like, hey, this is still not a bad deal. You know, I mentioned what their, their conference schedule is. This is their entire schedule. They play UVA this week versus Pitt versus number 15 Wake versus James Madison. Don't sleep on mm. the Dukes. They're pretty good this year. They're probably the best team in Virginia. That's not saying much. <laughs> uh, Virginia is in a sad state of power, power uh, FBS football right now. But JMU is a sneaky good team that's transitioning up to the FBS uh, at number five, Clemson versus number 14, NC State, and at number 13, Kentucky. Uh, you know, that's four ranked teams on the back end of the schedule, plus Pitt and JMU. Uh, that is going to be tough. And I, I don't see a path to, you know, Satterfield doing enough that would make Louisville fans really be happy about the progress with the program. So uh, maybe prepare for that change sooner rather than later. Let's pick uh, the games in the ACC this week real quick, and then I know you got to go. Louisville, Virginia. I feel like I've picked Louisville before and I've been burned by it. Uh, and I still just like Malik Cunningham as the playmaker. And Virginia has been pretty bad itself. I'm going to go with Louisville on this one. I'm with you. I think uh, the Cardinals uh, win this week. Uh, Virginia Tech at Pitt. Let's put you on the spot. Yeah, oh my goodness, it's not even <laughs> close. It's like a 14-point line, and I don't think it's going to be that close. Every time Virginia Tech goes up to Pitt, with the exception of one year where they had three receivers with 100 yards, 
and they won 39-36 in this really wild game. Pitt has just curb stomped them every time they go out there. The 2018 game, Pitt averaged like 13 yards a play. It was one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen in my life. And 2020 wasn't a whole lot better. So, uh, yeah, I would expect Pitt to roll on that one. Yeah, I got Pitt rebounding from their loss. Uh, Their coach isn't going to allow for that to happen two weeks in a row. Uh, Duke at Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm going to go with Duke in that one. I just like the way that they're playing. I do have some questions on whether Georgia Tech can keep that sort of intensity and emotional level two weeks in a row. Uh, I'll take Duke on the road in that. I'm going to take Georgia Tech. I'm going to uh, two weeks in a row. Brent Key somehow, some way. I just I have a feeling we're going to have to put Georgia Tech somewhere in the top six, seven of our rankings pretty soon uh, because of, of, of this role that they're on here with Brent Key. Um, all right, North Carolina, Miami. I've got North Carolina taking care of business. I I'm always. Oh, wary of the team that looked a little bit too good against what I consider bad competition. Okay. Uh, it just, man, Miami, I look at that middle Tennessee result, and I'm like, well, if you can't stop middle Tennessee from throwing deep on you, are you going to stop UNC from doing it? Uh, I'll take UNC. I don't know what the line is on that game, but Miami was favored by four and a half, by the way, Miami favored by four. I don't know what they know in Vegas. I have no idea what they know that I don't. That might be one of those, like, where do they know that we don't? And maybe I'm a sucker, but I, I'll go for UNC to, just because I saw them play so well last week. And it, that's probably how they get me is, you know, the last thing I see is the direction I go. But I'll go with the Tar Heels. I, I think they've won three in a row against Miami. They've got the same coaching staff pretty much intact. I know they changed their defensive coordinator, but uh, that's the same group that's lit up Miami's defense for years. Uh, and the Canes, just too many big plays on defense. They keep giving up. Um Clemson at Boston College. I think we'll, we'll, we're both going with Clemson pretty easily. Yeah, right? I don't think there's much to analyze there. I, I don't like Boston <laughs> College's chances. All right. <laughs> Army at Wake Forest. I'm super impressed uh, with Wake Forest. I just I, Looking at that roster, the talent, I mean, that is Duke-level talent, really. In, in all honesty, you just have a quarterback in Sam Hartman who knows his system so well. Um, I, look, Wake Forest, they're, to me, the story of this ACC, just the, the job that they've, you know, that uh, Dave Clausen has done there in his time, uh, just building this, this perfect system. I'm surprised more people don't do the slow mesh. I, I would, I would, you know, there's so many offenses struggling, right? Quarterbacks, uh, they can't block anybody. Why not use something similar to what they do at Wake Forest? Well, I, I think the issue is when you play a really good defensive line, like Clemson, they can wreck shop and just mm-hmm. throw everything off. And you have to have a quarterback that can, play with like chaos around him i think hartman is unique in that sense that you know he holds that slow mesh and it feels like he's just surrounded by defensive linemen and offensive linemen and he's okay just standing in there and throwing it i will make a point wake forest army played perhaps the most entertaining game ever last year 70 to 56 wake forest won that game wake forest scored 70 points in the possess the ball for 17 minutes in that game so talk about great offensive play uh, yeah, I think the Deacons probably roll on this one, but uh, this could be a, an interesting you know, sort of clash of styles here. And the last one, which is probably the toughest one to pick this week, Florida State at NC State. Two teams coming off a loss. You, you always kind of wonder with NC State, you know, if there's a hangover after losing the biggest game that you had of the season. Uh, I don't know if I quite trust the Knowles going on the road in a game like this. I'll take NC State to win that one. 
I'm with you. I, I really like what Jordan Travis has done. I think Mike Norvell's got it going in the right direction. I just think this is a tough three-week span. Wake Forest, NC State, Clemson. I could see them losing those three games and winning the rest of them. So, all right, there that wraps go. it up. <laughs> Thank you, Andy, for joining me. I know you've got a phone call to jump on in three minutes, so uh, make sure you check out Andy's work and my work over at The Athletic. We'll be back with more podcasts after this week.